Continuing our verse, uh, continuing our journey, I have no idea what happened with that. Continuing our journey through uh, the Gospel of Mark, we find ourselves at a, at again, at a transition point, at a turning point. The last couple of weeks, we've looked at some, um, last several weeks, actually, we've looked at moments of prophecy. And now we see the moment where he prays, and then the weeks following. Next week, obviously, we'll have Adam uh, presenting and talking about what God has in store for us in missions. But uh, following that, we will see the fulfillment of some of the things that Jesus predicted, even in these moments along the way. Uh, Mark chapter 14 is where we'll be, and then we'll actually look at the Gospel of John and the Gospel of Luke as well, because there's some interesting details within this journey to the garden. And some of you by the title on the screen have an old song in your head right now. And I, one of the, the ironies of that is um, that song really encapsulates our journey with Christ. When Jesus went to the garden, it was a moment of loneliness see this, uh, as, as we come to this place of fellowship with Christ, he is with us. When Christ went to the garden to pray, he found himself to be alone. And he did it so that we might have fellowship with him. So, we will start in verse 32 and read through verse 42, and we will look also at John chapter 17 and Luke chapter 22. And I might just for measure mention Matthew 26, because can't leave one of them out. They might get upset with me. Um, All right, let's stand together as we read verses 32 through 42. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here watch. Going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass for him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and sang the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer answer him. And he came came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my sin, my betrayer is at hand. Lord, it's easy to see ourselves in these verses. I pray that in your grace, reading this, we come to be found faithful. In Jesus' name. It's always fun when they throw a word in there that I have a hard time saying. Like, you know, good morning. No, that's not what it is. 
um, Gethsemane. Thank you. I'll keep working on that. Maybe one of these years I'll be able to say that without tripping over it. But today, please endure this suffering that I, uh, I end up saying that over and over. So Gethsemane was a garden at the base of the Mount of Olives. There's a place that Jesus took his disciples often. Um, actually, in chapters 12 and 13, we see something called the Olivet Discourse, the Mount of Olives. It's possible that some of it could have taken place in this garden as well, this teaching he had about the end times uh, leading uh, us to uh, understand what God's plan may be as we have the capabilities of understanding it. You know, we went through that journey in the last few, few months. Uh, there's a lot of questions that raise from it, but ultimately, what is the answer? God reigns. And now, even in this place, in this struggle, in this trial, that answer is the same, that God reigns. There's so much grace in this passage. I, I listened to several things. I read a lot of things. I even managed to stay awake along the way, uh, studying along the, you know, it's, it's a good thing. But we, one of the things we, we see is Jesus's kindness to his disciples. He doesn't come with a resentful heart. He knows what's going to happen. He's already predicted that Judas is going to betray him. He's predicted that Peter is going to deny him. And, and he knows all of these things, these things are going to happen, right? But where is his mind focused? It's focused on what he is there to do. Jesus came with purpose. He came in the glory of God to do the will of God. And really, one of the greatest mysteries, I think, that is hard, hardest for us to comprehend or wrap our minds around is how much God loves us. Even in this moment, where we see these trials and the stress that is upon him, his desire is that they wouldn't fall into temptation. Well, what is the temptation that they might fall into? What, what happens immediately after this? They scatter. It says in the previous passage that you strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And that's really what's going to happen here just right away. But Jesus knew these things would happen, and he was preparing his followers, those who had spent the most time with him on earth for that moment of his departure. And he calls them to do something. He calls them pray. Not just generic, you know, dear Lord, be with sister so-and-so and her, I don't know, appendix. Whatever kind of organ we can attach to that. Not a generic, um, Lord, let this just come out the way I want it to happen. No. He says, in the midst of it, this is a, a moment of preparation. He's preparing himself for the will of the Lord. And, and so many of us think that, and the way we live is that God ought to be blessing me and making my life better. But the way of the servant, as we go back even to Isaiah chapter 53 and all these other things along the way, we see the way of the true servant is a place of suffering. It's a place of complete obedience to the point 
of death, yes, even death on a cross. What kind of struggle was Jesus facing here? We see that he moves beyond his friends. He took with him Peter, James, and John, and he, he said, you stay here, I'm going to go pray. What's going on there? I'm glad you asked. Let's go to the Gospel of Luke. Just looking at a couple of verses there. Verses 43 and 44. This is in the midst of the same accounts right here. This is during the prayer. Remember, the Synoptic Gospels talk about uh, the same things from a different perspective. We get a little more here. Remember, Luke, if you don't know already, Luke was a medical doctor. He was accompanied the Apostle Paul in his missions and probably attended to Paul and his illnesses along the way. Luke and Acts are part one and part two of the same accounts. Luke is the story of salvation. Acts is the story of the, the apostles proclaiming salvation. And so now we come to this place, and, and, and uh, Luke brings out some interesting physiological things. In the middle of this struggle, in the middle of this prayer, he says, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. Well, that's, that's incredible, right? Where is that angel to strengthen me? Well, part of it, is, it mentioned earlier, Paul is talking about, our Paul, not the Apostle Paul, was talking about the Holy Spirit at work. But the angels came and tended to the Lord and comforted him. It, it leans back again. We talked about it a little bit last week. It goes back to the temptation of Jesus in Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4. That the angels came and attended him and strengthened him. Why? For the, uh, in that case, it was for the healing after that 40 days of fasting. Raise your hand if you've gone 40 days without food voluntarily. I, can, I don't even have to raise my hand. You can look at me. 40 minutes is a struggle. Anyway, so we see that the angel at that point comes to bring Jesus um, healing, Jesus, uh, his, encourage him in his affliction, and now the angel comes to, to comfort him before the ultimate affliction. What does that look like? Verse, uh, an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, it's possible that you have had that measure of stress in your prayer life. But I doubt it. What happened? Well, you know, the capillaries are, are really close to the skin in your skull. He was so stressed out that they were bursting, and when he sweat, it mixed in with the sweat. And, and we, we get songs like, I stand amazed in the presence from that. Sweat drops of blood for my iniquities. Jesus understood what he was going to endure, and it was not going to be an easy thing. And he calls his disciples to pray for him in that moment to give him strength and courage. And what did they do? They doze off. Now, I can't really blame them. I'm kind of confused about what happened the night before. You know, he changed up Passover. It's not like it used to be. He said he's the body and the blood. I'm really confused. I think I'll take a nap. Anybody been there? You know, I think, it, you know, it's refreshing. But Jesus, Jesus told him, don't. Stay awake. Stay alert. Don't fall into this temptation. This temptation of denial of him as Lord. But it's an interesting picture here. If we go to the Gospel of John now, 
Because in chapter 17 of the Gospel of John, actually before they go to the Mount of Olives, remember John is structured differently. This is the end of um, the longest teaching that we have of Jesus in the Scriptures, John chapter 12 through chapter 17. In 18, Judah shows up. We don't have all of these bits and pieces in the Gospel of John. But what we do see is the way Jesus was praying on the night of his betrayal. And you know what? If it was me, I'd be going, Lord, just let me out of this. And he kind of did some of that, right? Let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but yours. Full submission to the will of the Father. If you want to be like Christ, that's a picture of it. Submitting your life in full to Christ. To the, to the will of God. Even Jesus would not deny that. He didn't really want to go through it in the flesh. Remember, Jesus, fully human, fully God. He didn't really want to endure that pain. And even in the midst of this prayer, he's experiencing it, like we said, with the sweat drops of blood. But how would Jesus pray in that last prayer. Again, I probably would have made it selfish. I would have been whining. Why do I have to go through this? Well, let's look at John chapter 17. Because whether this was the prayer in the garden or before they went up there at the close of the dinner, whatever it may be, this is how Jesus prayed his last night on earth. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his, up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have, been get, have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all who you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So Jesus prays for the salvation of the world. Again, probably wouldn't have been preparing for that myself. Jesus, though, his focus was on the reason he came, that we might have fellowship with God. He wants us to know him. He wants us to know him intimately in, in a friendship, in a, in a father-son, brotherhood, whatever kind of relationship. He wants us to have that kind of fellowship with him. The same kind of fellowship that he has himself with the Father. Full and complete unity. And we'll come back to that here in a second because he brings it up again. What is eternal life? That they may know you. That we may know God. How do we know God? By what Jesus Christ has done for us. So, he prays for our salvation. Let's go down to verse 9 now. What does he pray for here? He says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I have, uh, am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name that you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. 
He says earlier in the Gospel of John, they will know you by, the, by our love for one another. He calls us consistently to this place of love. And what does love create? It creates true unity. You know, we, we have a picture of the United States. Well, that basically just means we're, you know, a nation. We're a, we're a country. We're, we're brought together in that. But really, the unity that God has for us is fulfilled only through the sacrifice and the shed blood of Jesus. And that's what unites us in Him. We have to focus ourselves back on how much this matters to God. I am praying for them. Jesus was praying for you. How was He praying? That we would love one another and be unified under the banner of His name. Keep us in your name, He says, Holy Father, which you have given me, that we, they may be one even as we are one. Focus our hearts and our lives on Him, that we glorify Him in the decisions we make and the way we relate to one another, and the purpose that we have. What is the, and, and actually something I'm not touching on here in, in John chapter 17, but over and over and over and over, He brings back up this idea of being sent, that we have been sent into the world, that we are going there with purpose that we live a certain way to bless Him. And one of the things that's hardest in our lives is a full submission to the Lord and to what He desires for us. You know, I think of it perhaps in, in the sense of a parent. You know, my, my kids might want to do something and have this great grand idea, and all I see are the warning signs, right, whatever it is. And I have a two-letter word that they don't like at all. No. Apparently, I say it like that, too. No. We use that word because of this thing we have called wisdom. Wisdom it happens, first of all, if you learn it from somebody who's already wise or if you go through some of those hard times yourself, right? Sometimes you get wisdom the hard way. But God in His Spirit gives us His wisdom that we might speak His truth. And sometimes He tells us, no, don't. Here, He calls us to unite in His name. He's praying for you and me. So we unite in love. Verses 14 through 17, I love. This is among my top favorite passages in the, wor in, in, in the Word, in the world. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Okay, I want a comma here. This does not give us permission to be self-crucifying martyrs. Where we declare, well, it's just because I'm not like the world. No, the point is to be like Christ. You might not be like the world, and that can just make you weird. Okay? But the point here is not that we just determine our own holiness, but that we would walk in Christ. 
Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So this isolationist, that mentality, I don't want to touch them. No, he says, I'm going to protect you from this warfare, from the evil one. It's real, the spiritual warfare. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Heard me say it before, I'm going to say it again. I don't necessarily say it every Sunday, but please pretend I say it every Sunday. You got to read your Bible every day. You got to stay that, stay in the word of the Lord. You have to focus your hearts and your minds on applying it to your lives. Because what brings us into fellowship with God? His sanctification. It says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. This word is what will transform our hearts and our minds. He calls us to holiness. He brings us out and cleanses us and sends us back that we might proclaim his truth. This world needs to hear about the love of Jesus, what he's done for us and how he has suffered for us. Ultimately, and there's a lot in here, John 17, I've, I've preached it before, I'll preach it again, it's good stuff. But 26, it says, I made that known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So God's desire for us is to have the same fellowship that the Father and the Son hold together have that same fellowship with him and to have that same fellowship with one another. That's the kind of thing that our Savior was praying for in his last moments. And that's the kind of thing that will see this world turn their hearts to Christ. Our heart united, and that's one of the reasons I shared that passage at the very beginning of the service, unite my heart the psalmist says, that I might fear your name. We're broken in ourselves. I'm against myself half the time. How am I supposed to get along with you? Jesus. In the midst of his trouble and his suffering, he prays for you and I. And he does not take his eye off of the purpose from which he came. And we're, we're like I shared a couple weeks ago, we're rolling downhill now. It's going to happen fast. It's within 12 hours of what we see right now that Jesus dies on the cross. And his heart, his heart is on the unity that his sacrifice can bring. That we would set our hearts and our minds together on the, on the glorification of the Father through the Son. That's the challenge that's before us right now. And that's the anguish that He went through. That we might know that together. The only path to salvation is the cross of Jesus. And we might want to make it as pretty as we can, and there is nothing wrong with beautiful pictures of the cross. There's nothing wrong with artwork. We got one beautiful thing up here. One of our men made it here 50 years ago. 
picture of the cross is a picture of what Jesus did for us and the gravity of our sin. He's not on that cross anymore. Hallelujah. And ultimately, He is risen. Hallelujah forever and ever. Amen. And we celebrate that together, but we must focus our lives in living, as Paul says, in a manner worthy of the calling that is upon us in Christ Jesus. That's what holiness is about. And Allison talked about with the tracks that they were, they were talking about sharing our faith and looking at different tracks. And a lot of the tracks we have have a good explanation of how to be saved, how to get saved. But they don't talk about living for Jesus after it happens. Just kind of put that stamp as that pick, you know, on, the, on your passport or, on the, or the train conductor's chunk on the ticket, you know. Here's your destination. It's set. Yes, but... He, his task on us, uh, the whole thing, on the whole way, it never stops at the moment of salvation. It goes into the Great Commission to make disciples. And if, if there's no other purpose in our unity, it's that. That we would share the love of Christ. So there's a lot of stuff going on in our world right now that we can get distracted about. You know, I'm not a social justice guy, but that's a big topic right now. And, and I look at here, and I and even going back to John 17, he says, if we, if we live in love, if we love one another at the base level, guess what? There's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free, but only Christ. Are we going to set our minds on what Christ has done in the completed work of salvation? It's a great challenge that's before us. And I'm not saying that there's the world is perfectly just. No, that's not what I'm saying in the least. I'm saying that the only answer to it is the cross. And so whatever question we ask, whatever frustration we face, let's bring it back to that task. Jesus, Jesus fulfilled it. And now he calls us to proclaim it. The question that it all starts with now is, do you believe it? Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? Do you recognize the price that has been paid for your sin? Are you, are you a believer? Are you going to walk in obedience to Him, trust Him, and, and take those steps that He calls us to when we come to faith in Him? Will you walk with Him? Jesus was obedient to the point of death. Paul says to live is Christ, to die is gain. Well, we realize that the true victory is found in the cross, in the empty tomb, his resurrection. Father, I'm unworthy of your grace and your goodness.